welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Welcome to Church at The Well. My name is BJ. And my name is Jen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We're doing something today as a, a community, and if you're new to our church or you've done this before, it's called a SELA service. Um, and so Jen and I get the privilege of actually leading you through this today. The word SELA actually just means to pause, and not like pause your Netflix feed or whatever, but like pause and stop um, because our lives... Um, not only the speed at which we do stuff and the amount of things we do in a day, but the speed at which our minds and our hearts, and if I can say this, our souls in a technologically driven culture, the speed at which they move does not allow us to um, actually be aware of what's going on inside of us and where God is. We started doing this a couple of years ago and Jen, you actually said to me, we got to do this like a few times a year. When we get to the end of kind of series where we've been, this series uh, Revelation, hope in the dark, to actually pause in order to become more aware of what God is saying, what God is doing, and that God is with us and here. And so we get the privilege of kind of leading you through that today. Um, As I said, we've been in a series called Hope in the Dark. What does it mean to have hope when you can't see in front of you? You know, it's not clear. Or when what you see is not very hopeful or hope-giving. And we come to the end of this series and we want to pause and say, okay, Lord, what do you have for us? And even if the idea of God speaking is totally new for you, maybe you're saying, I don't, I'm not even sure what I believe. I know that God is, is actually wanting to speak to each one of us. He wants to be known. He wants to be heard. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to take some time today to do that. But one of the most interesting features, I think, of Revelation, and we've said this, that as we've gone through this as a book on hope, that hope comes primarily not from hearing some stuff or getting some new information or understanding some new things, although all that's good. It's, it comes from a person, from Jesus. And, um, and Dave reminded us of that last week about how our hope is found in Jesus, who has come to find us, come to be with us. And so we want to just pause and become more aware of his presence. And one of the songs that we've been um, singing through this series is called Another in the Fire. And we're going to sing it in, a, in like a, a moment. But as we do, and I w- want to use this to help us prepare for our Sila experience today. Um, the, the song is a very poetic description of how there can be fire that comes in our lives, like um, that, we're, that we fear is going to burn us, that is going to overtake us, that is going to extinguish all hope in our lives. Or we face uh, floodwaters, like water that rises and threatens to drown us or drown out our hope. And that even though God has not promised that, oh, you'll never face a fire, you'll never face a flood. That's not true. You know that's not true in your life, in my life. But he has promised that he, there'll be another in the fire with us. He's with us. Yeah. It? yeah. And there's another line in the song that says, the space between wears thin. I love it's that. Actually, yeah, it's this poetic sort of description of that. We often feel the space between us and God is like a big gap. Um, like, where is he? And even though God's always with us, we kind of sometimes feel, I don't know where you are, or I can't hear you, or that there's this big space between heaven and earth. And the scriptures tell us that in Jesus, that space actually wore very thin. It was a thin space where heaven touched earth, where God is actually with us and present. And so I want to invite you to just listen to this song, um, the lyrics, just use it. If you know it, you can sing. If you know it, you want to just listen, but use it as a time and say, okay, God, I'm going to pause right now. And I would love for the space between us to wear thin. And I would love to, to sense and know that you're in this with me. So just take a moment and listen to the words. Sing along if you want.
So as Vijay said, the point of Revelation is to bring us hope, and then that hope is actually meant to lead us into worship. And then, again, worship is meant to make us more hopeful, like it actually um, brings hope to our spirits when we worship God. And so throughout Revelation, we can see these different scenes of worship. John keeps seeing and experiencing these places where worship is happening, and um, each one of them is actually quite odd and, and weird and kind of strange to our ears, not the least of which is the one that we come to first in Revelation chapter 4. So this is um, like a scene of a throne room where God is in the center, and then there's all these people and some interesting beings around <laughs> worshiping him. So I'm going to read it for you right now. 
Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So I have to admit, whenever I hear this passage, I think about how when I was a kid, I thought heaven was kind of going to be boring. So I was told that heaven was a place where we worship God all the time, like forever and ever. And when I was a kid, we had an hour worship service and then a half hour of like refreshments and sometimes like a cookie and then an hour and a half more of a worship service. And then even in the evening, we had another one. And so as a... That's amazing. You still go to church. (laughs) As a young girl, um, sitting still and being quiet for that long was quite difficult. And so I wasn't looking forward to doing that forever and ever. And then in this uh, passage, it didn't really seem like those eyes and wings dudes were ever going to take a break and have a refreshment. There's no mention of cookies. And it seemed like they only knew two songs, right? Like, holy, 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 and Lord, you are worthy. And that they only get one outfit, the white robe, which okay, yes. you were out at that <laughs> I was, point. I had trouble with that too. But now, you know, as I got older, I realized that we, we might have different outfits and we might do other things in heaven than just worship. But still, when I read this passage, I, I find it a bit concerning. Like, it seems so robotic and mechanical and like a, this big, long ritual. Like, they're going to say something and then these elder people are going to fall down and, and then they get up and then they say the same thing and then they fall down again. And, and that happens day and night forever and ever. Like, it seems like they're in a trance or something. It's not at all like I would picture people in paradise worshiping a loving God. And then also, what's with all the eyes? Yeah, the eyes is really weird. Like, if, you, um, if you're a kid and you draw a picture of this passage and you give it to your parents, they're not going to put it on the fridge because it'll be like, oh, thank you. Good job. I mean, like, it's so weird. Um, all of the eyes. And yet, here's the thing. Remember we said you have to learn to love the word like if you're going to read Revelation. It is an image, it's a picture that carries so much meaning with it. And in fact, the meaning, can I just say this, is such good news to us about it would actually create a heaven that we would want to be in, you know. And, and here's why. First of all, it says, and we kind of unpack the image a little bit. It says that there are four creatures around the throne. Um, it says there was a lion one that was like a lion, one that was like an ox, one that was like um, an eagle, and one had the face of a human. And what's interesting about that is those creatures, the four creatures represent um, in the lion, the most regal, powerful, and authoritative uh, wild beasts, the lion of the wild. Mm The ox was the most powerful domestic beast. I know, I know domestic beasts are like dogs and cats, but in an agrarian culture... They had pet oxes. Pet oxes, yeah. Okay, you had an ox because they, they plowed your fields. So domestic uh, power. And then the eagle, the most regal and powerful and authoritative creature of the air. And then human beings, the, the ones in whom had rule over all creation. And yet Revelation says all of them are on their faces before God. Like there is a, a, a beauty and a power on the throne that is unlike anything we have seen on earth. And so that's the first thing. But I do think the eyes, the weirdest feature of the passage are the most important because here's what it says. It says that we will be, or that, that worship in heaven involves um, being able to see like we've never seen before. Right. Um, not just two sets of eyes, but hundreds of eyes everywhere to be able to take in everything that we would see and our, our senses would be able to take in everything that's so um, uh, beautiful and glorious that would cause us to worship. We would have all the eyes to see and that what we see, we would never get tired of seeing. 
Hmm. Right? So that that's where you get this rep repetition of every time they see it, they fall down. There's this, um, this idea, they see everything and they never get tired of what they see. Wow. That, that's the picture of like what worship is. And, and we're like, okay, but still I would say there's a gap or a disconnect for us in terms of like worship as being this sort of religious churchy kind of singy word and like worship in everyday life. And we're like, what, what does that look like? Yeah, you know what? This actually makes me think of something that we do experience in everyday life. Like when you've seen something amazing and you just can't stop talking about it. So the one that comes to mind for me is that shot that Kawhi Leonard made in Game 7 against the uh, Philadelphia on their run to the championship. And so it was like less than one second left in the game and Kawhi went to the corner and he puts up this fadeaway jumper and then everybody just pauses and it feels like time has stopped. And the ball bounces on the rim four times and then finally goes in the net and then the crowd goes wild and everyone's jumping and going crazy. And then after that, we can't stop talking about it. They're talking about it on the radio. They're showing the video again and again on TV from every single camera angle that they can find. And then they made t-shirts of it. I bought one for VJ for Father's Day that year. They actually had one in the grocery store last month and they were selling this framed picture of Kawhi waiting for the shot to go in in the grocery store. And this has been a year and a half. It's something that was so amazing that we can't stop talking about it. And I think if you were actually at the game and you saw that in real life, um, you, you would be even more excited. You would tell everybody where you were sitting and what angle you had and you would relive the moment. And um, even when you're 90, you'd be talking about that shot I that, that Kawhi made. And I think it's because these kind of events, they just outshine everything else in our lives. They seem more exciting, more incredible than our day-to-day -day experiences. So we, we just can't stop talking about them. And that, this is so important to see. That is worship. When, when we take in something that thrills us, that is beyond what we could imagine, that um, delights our senses and makes us want to talk about it and relive it and rewatch it and watch it again and tweet about it and whatever, um, that, that is worship. Mm -hmm. And yet here's the thing, if we're honest, in, in, our, in the everyday things we worship, the stuff that we look at and think about, um, you know, many things are good things um, that we spend time on, that we spend money on, that we, um, that delight us, that thrill us, that satisfy us. The truth is, isn't this true, that they grow dim or less shiny and a little more rusty over time, right? That, right. that sweater you love, you know, eventually goes out of style. I know some of you are having a hard time with that still, <laughs> right? It, it pills, um, it, it fades. The car that's so shiny eventually smells like family and it rusts. Um, you know, the, the, the shot that you watch somebody else, then, then, then that was a year and a half and ago. Then and then Kawhi they, leaves your team. Yes, that's it, exactly. It fades, it, it, it diminishes. And so we need new things because the things that used to delight us and thrill yeah. us ebb away. And the scriptures say that, um, that in heaven, we will see something that will constantly delight us, like that, that will never fade, will never rust, will never grow dim. That's why there's a repetition in it. It's saying you will have all of these eyes to see something that so thrills you and so delights you like it's the first time you saw it over and over and over again. Endless thrill. That's what heaven describes. But also it says we will have all of the eyes. Do you know that the, the human eye is the best camera on the market? Like, like no matter all of the technology they put into cameras, they put into 4K televisions, they put into screens and whatever, all of that can't keep up with what the eye can see, but it's trying to match what the eye can see to somehow, what? Allow us more eyes <laughs> to take it in, to see the images we love, the people in our family we photograph, the beauty of creation, the shot we want to watch, whatever it is, human bodies, right? We cannot see enough of them. And scriptures say, not only will what we see thrill us endlessly, we will finally have all all of the eyes, the capacity we need to take it in. And that's why friends, worship is the greatest gift God could give you to actually give you the thing, the one really that will never grow dim or rusty or old that will never cease to thrill you and to give you the capacity to be able to take it in where it never fades and it never grows tired. And, that, and that's what this is. And so we actually want to pause here in our Sela service and take some time to sing. It's an, an old song the band's going to lead us in. It's called Be Thou My Vision. And it's essentially a prayer that says, God, can you be the one that fills my frame? <laughs> can you be the one that I see that thrills my soul and my life for my whole, for all my days, more than riches, more than anything else I could see. Yeah. 
And so I just want to invite you, if you know the song, to, to listen. And the words are very poetic because they're a little bit older. And so maybe sometimes even if you know the song, it's worth just stopping, just listening to that. Um, but to take it in and use it as a prayer and say, God, can you be my vision? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best by day or by night. Waking or sleeping thy presence by worship God doesn't just come from our ability to see with our eyes, but also um, having a greater capacity to understand with our mind what God is actually doing and, and what he has done. Imagine if we could understand everything that God does. Like, imagine we could go back in time to the beginning of creation and watch him create it and understand how and why he created us and why he gave us free will. And then imagine we could understand fully the depth of love that would cause him to send his son down to earth for us. Or the, how mighty that love would be that it took um, death and reversed it and so that Jesus came back to life. Like, imagine we could understand that whole concept. Or if we could understand how God has been with us through every detail in our lives, yeah. even the ones that seem dark and, not, and we don't understand, but how we could finally understand how he was working every detail of our life towards a good and complete resolution. You know, I think we're not the first people to misunderstand God and to wrestle with trying to figure him out. When Jesus was on earth, he taught his disciples many things, and I think so often they were totally confused. I think most of the things he taught them um, were backwards and upside down from what they had learned before. 
and the things he taught about God, about themselves, about sin and work and finances and love and everything was changing. It was different than what they had learned before. And so I think a lot of the time they were pretty confused. Confused, yeah. But then when Jesus died, I think that's when everything got even worse. Like they obviously were um, grieving and so distraught, but I think also they were like, well, now what? Like, they, they could not understand this at all. How could a man who was a miracle worker and even had, had risen other people from the dead, how could he be lying in a grave now? None of it made sense. Yeah. But then three days later, Jesus comes out of the grave and he's alive and well. And I think that's when for the first time the disciples started to go, oh, now this is making sense. Now they began to understand everything that Jesus had said about himself and taught them and things like the coin was starting to drop. And I think they began to realize that this plan that God had and that Jesus was a part of, that um, it was way more complete than they had imagined. I think they had thought um, that he was going to come and save them from the Romans who were oppressing them. He, the Messiah was the one who was going to free them from that. But instead, Jesus freed them from so much more. He freed them from sin that was destroying them from the inside, from their destructive tendencies, mm -hmm. from evil that was outside that was... Um, also attacking them. And then he also um, freed them from death itself. So now they would have nothing to fear. And then um, after that, they began to realize that some of the things that they always did, the rituals and sacrifices and customs that they always followed, they weren't even necessary anymore. Like, for example, in the temple, they had different sections. So the outer courts of the temple, outside, anyone could come and worship, even if you weren't a Jew. But then just inside, that's where all of the people of God, the Jews, um, would come and worship God. But there was this one room way inside called the Holiest of Holies. And that room was separated from the rest with this big, huge curtain. And in that room, only one person was allowed to go, and that was the high priest. And he was only allowed to go once a year, once in his lifetime. And that was the place where God met with his people. That was the presence of God. And only one person was ever allowed to enter there. But it says that when Jesus died on the cross and, and breathed his last, that at that moment, that curtain was torn in mm. two from the top to the bottom. It was like an invitation saying, come, now everyone can enter the presence of God. And that was just, that was, that was totally different for them. They had never, like, even considered that before. And that was just one of the restrictions that they now could let go of because of the completeness of what mm. Jesus has done. And then also, a few months later, they began to realize how vast God's plan was. This wasn't just a salvation for the Jews. It was for everyone. And they, they didn't know that was going to happen. They thought it would just be for them and their descendants. But it was even going to be for the Romans. Because even the Romans needed healing from that sin that was destroying them from the inside. So this was also for them such good news. It was vast, so everyone could have access to it. It was so complete, sin, death, the law, everything now had been abolished because Jesus had uh, died and risen from the dead. And Revelation tells us that this is one of the main re reasons that we, we will worship when we're in heaven, and, and we won't be able to stop. It's because we're going to feel like the disciples, finally it's going to land, the coin will drop, and we'll understand the whole plan We'll understand all that God has been doing and how complete it is and how good it is and how vast it is. Vast because it's for everyone. In heaven, we're going to see every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language represented. More than we can count, it says. It says we can't even count how many people will be there. And then it's complete because when we get to the end, we will see that nothing is left undone. He's done everything, sorted out the entire mess of history. There'll be no more pain, no more crying, no desire for justice unmet. And then we will also rejoice because it's so good. We will be filled with joy. It's going to like blow our minds. There will be like this collective yes in heaven. Where we all shout and say, God, you did it. Yeah. You did it so well, so fair, so just. Yeah, it's one of the ways to see those worship scenes in Revelation is when the end finally comes, everyone will say, how did you do this? You did it. Like, and not just vast and complete, but like Jen said, good. Like there'll be this collective yes. Um, it made me think when you were talking about uh, when I went to India when I was nine, and there's a, like a killer picture of me rocking a great hairdo there uh, with the vegetable guy who used to come by uh, my grandmother's house when we were there. And my dad took me to a Hindi movie uh, when I was nine. It had no subtitles. So uh, I didn't know what was going on. But so we're watching the movie. I'm trying to piece it together. Every so often, the whole place would erupt in, in cheers and clapping and, you know, 
know, <laughs> shouting so cool. and hooting. And I would say to my dad, what, what, what just happened? Because they were just talking. And he would say, oh, somebody said something just or good or a righteous person made a good decision or evil was, you know, dealt with in this, in this way. And it was like, everyone cheered. This is collective sense of yes. And, and that's what Revelation says we are going to experience. It's going to be one of the sources for our worship is when we see how vast and complete and good the work of God really is. Yeah, and I think right now, part of the reason we don't understand is because we're right in the middle of it. We haven't seen the whole picture. Like, we're like at that point when yeah. Jesus was in the grave and the disciples were going, what? Like, what now? You know, we, we haven't seen the end, but when we do, I think we're never going to be able to stop talking about it. Yeah, so good. And, and I think one of the reasons we get the picture of the future, like, look, this is coming, is to actually help us worship today because we realize God's saving work and his complete and good and vast work breaks in on us now. And we get glimpses of it. And those glimpses are meant to invite us to worship. Yeah. One of those is every time we do a baptism together. And so a couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to do one outside because we're not meeting in person. It was cold, um, but we got footage of it. And uh, this is, you're going to listen to Steve Samaru, his story of God's saving work in his life. And as you listen, not only are we celebrating with him as part of our community here at the well, but we are celebrating the fact that God is continuing to save people from, from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that when you see God's saving work in someone else's life, it reminds him of his saving work in your life. And so not only watch this, but worship as you watch. I don't know if you felt that. I felt that. Things that I used to do. I'm here out in uh, Lake Ontario. I'm not in Lake Ontario. I will be shortly. Just preparing myself for that. If it looks warm in the camera, I can tell you it's not in actual fact. Uh, but this is such an exciting uh, day. A baptism is always an exciting thing. Um, this is, I, I'm with a group of witnesses that aren't on camera, but we're less than 25, just in case you're wondering. Um, this is something I remind our church of all the time when we talk about baptism. There's nothing special about the water. Uh, normally when we do it in our theater, or one of our venues, we get to heat the water. We tried to do that today. It doesn't work. So we're just taking the temperature as it is. But it's a reminder, there's nothing special about the water. It's not about holy water. The scriptures say when we get baptized, and in a moment we're gonna put Steve under the water and bring him out, it's like saying, yeah, Christ, I now have a new life. I'm dead to my old way of living, and now I have a new life. And the new life I live, I live to God. I live with a new way of seeing the world. I have a new heart uh, that feels and desires new things. Things I used to desire, I don't desire anymore. I have a new mind. I have a new way of thinking about the world and myself and God, and I have a new purpose. All of that is what it means to, be, to have a new life in Christ. And so baptism doesn't do anything magical to you, but it's like for those of you that are married, you know on the day that you got married, that wasn't the day you fell in love. You got married because you were in love. Neither was that day the sum total of your marriage. In fact, every day after that was as important as that day and yet there was something significant about the day you said to your spouse you and no other that's what baptism is we get baptized because we have already received the love of Christ and we love Christ and every day after our baptism is even more important than the day itself but there's something significant about a day in every one of our lives when we say to God you and no other you for the rest of my life and that's what this is and so in a few moments, we're going to get to do that. Steve is going to, in a sense, reenact the death and resurrection of Jesus, but claim it and saying, this is for me. And so in that sense, baptism is a very personal step, but it's also a communal step. We have a group of witnesses here today, but Steve is doing this actually in front of all of you, his brothers and sisters at the well, because this is, the scriptures say, we not only baptize into Christ, we're baptized into his body, into his community. And so this is both a personal event and a communal one. So it is as much yours to celebrate in as it is for Steve. And so I hope this is something that brings you closer to Jesus, even as you watch. Hello. To all that don't know me, my name is Stephen Rishi Samaru, and this is my story. Growing up in my extended family, we had Hindus, Christians, and Muslims. And I just happened to be in that Hindu group. Our family was very loving and helped one another no matter religious background. 
I wasn't a practicing Hindu or any religion for that matter. What I was practicing was the absence of God in my life. As a child, whenever I went to my cousin's house for sleepovers, we'd sometimes go to church and I would attend Sunday school. I heard stories and sang songs about our Lord and Father, but none of it really stuck or resonated with me. The biggest influencer of Jesus into my life would have been my Auntie Pam. Anytime she knew or could see me going through a rough patch, she'd tell me she would pray and she'd continue to pray for my well-being. At the time, I really didn't know what that meant. But she never stopped saying it through thick and thin. I noticed small changes in me, never really paying any mind to it. Driving home in traffic, I'd curse and call people pretty nasty names to get home to my family, but would apologize right after it. I'd sometimes say, sorry God, I know you heard that, but I didn't mean it. Now, the names are much more PG, and sometimes, most times, no names, it's just a deep breath. A wallet was turned into me during work with about $700 in it. Old me would have bought a PlayStation with all the fixings and told no one, dumped the wallet and moved on. But what I did was look through that wallet, found the information, called my wife and asked her to help me find this person. Because the money wasn't mine, it didn't belong to me, and it was the right thing to do in my eyes. And this was all before accepting the Lord into my life. I worked on weekends at work, and during the spring of 2018, every Sunday at work, I'd say Sunday is family day. I'd say it most day to my coworkers or anyone I'd run into. Sunday should be for family and church. I'd run into supervisors, managers singing the same song day in and day out, and they'd laugh it off. Then I started saying I needed Sundays for my family so I could put the fear of God into my child and me. I said this for months almost every day. And at this point, the Lord was still not a part of my life, or so I thought. December 2018, I was granted a spot that would give me Sundays off. And given my seniority at work at my workplace, this was near to impossible. I was overwhelmed with joy that I could have this, have a day off on the weekend to do whatever I please. As the days rolled by to that first Sunday, which happened to be the first Sunday of the new year, I thought, what should I do with it? Then I looked up and said, nah, it's not possible. Well, my first Sunday off, I went to church to test out the water and appease the gods, just in case. I chose the Upper Room Community Church where some of my family attended. As weeks rolled by, things seemed to get different. I seemed to get a certain feeling inside of me. I was asked by my pastor speaking with him if I was ready to follow. I said yes, and things have never been the same since. The comfort, the warmth, knowing that I can tell him anything and still be loved. Opening my eyes, my heart, to see people in a different light. An immense weight was taken off of me, and I can see more clearly now. Did I ever think this day would come? No. Did I even think I would hear his calling and feel his power? No. But look at me now. I'm here, ready to start my journey towards him.
Trust in him I shall, and forevermore. My journey has just begun, and I look forward to my future, knowing the Lord will always be a part of my daily life and decisions. Thank you. Man, I never get tired of baptisms. I just love it. And um, even though I've witnessed um, so many of them, been a part of many of them, there's something about it, even though it's, quote, repetitive, um, and it is kind of maybe you even word, use the word a ritual that we participate in as a church. There's something so alive in it. And it's interesting because I think when it comes to, like, certainly religion, the word ritual is kind of a bad word. You know, yeah. it, it implies kind of um, sort of empty, mindless, emotionless, meaningless, meaningless kind of repetition. Um, but we all actually have rituals that we engage in in our lives that help us delight and joy. You have a, a, the, the, your favorite chair that you sit in and maybe a certain time of day, there's on Sunday mornings when I get up early, before, when we used to go to in person, there'd be this chair that I'd love to sit in, have a coffee and whatever. There's a certain restaurant you love to go to, Monday nights, pizza night at our home. There's rituals, right? There are things that you do them regularly because you enjoy them and delight in them. Well, that's true for us as a, as a worshiping community, whether it's baptism or communion that we do regularly or songs that we've sung uh, before, um, the weekly gathering. It's meant to actually be rituals that bring us joy and delight, but, um, but we lose the sense of delight in them. Like they, we, we need something, right, to help us re-engage with it. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is wonder. I think we have lost our sense of wonder. I think we have trouble with that as adults. Have you ever noticed that children have not lost this? Like they have this ability to enjoy something over and over and over again as if it was the first time that it happened. When uh, our kids were little in their twos and threes, they loved cars. So every morning they would get up and play with the same cars, make the same sound effects, crash them the same way. And they never got tired of playing with cars. Or you might know um, children who have a favorite dress or a favorite t-shirt or maybe a favorite pair of underwear and they want to wear it every day. Even if it's dirty, they don't care. They just want to keep wearing it. Or look at this picture. It's of a father, and he's throwing up his daughter into the air. And you know that when she gets down and he puts her on the ground, the first thing she's going to say is, do it again, Daddy. Please do it again. I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton. It says, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Every morning the sun comes up and every evening it goes down and it often paints the sky with this beautiful artwork. And I don't know about you, but I rarely notice it. I don't see that every day, that's for sure, once in a while. It's like a gift for us every day, and yet we just pass it by. Or every winter in Canada, anyways, um, God creates a gazillion snowflakes, no two alike, and he sends them gently down to earth to cover the world in white and make it look all clean and new and fresh. And then we go out and we grumble and complain while we shovel our driveways and try to make it 
to work. And it makes sense because it's hard. It's hard to deal with snow and live in a world that is broken and, and we have to do hard work every day. And as we get older, there's more and more responsibilities and it seems like less and less time. And so the things that we used to enjoy, um, now we rush through and we, we treat them as tasks and inconveniences. And the truth is they sort of are. But I think it's possible that we could actually be healed from this rushing and taking for granted and missing the significance of these beautiful things that God has done for us. And in Revelation, I think the creatures are like children enjoying something again and again yeah. and again with tireless wonder. Every time they looked at it, they were, they were overtaken and fell down in worship. So imagine that we could actually one day experience God's glory or the glorious things that he's created and never get tired of it, never take it for granted, never miss how significant it is. Like we would never get tired of seeing sunsets and snowflakes and shoveling and all of that. And that we would, um, every Easter, um, approach that time excited about and reliving the event of Jesus dying for our sins as if it was the first time we'd ever heard the news. Imagine we could treat baptisms like that or even um, telling our own story of what God's done in our lives or, or hearing from other people's stories of what he's done with such excitement as if we'd never heard a story before. Or yeah. even like Christmas, something we've heard so many times that we could approach Christmas and then celebrate it as if it's the first time we've ever heard heard that God had sent Jesus to earth as a baby. You know, today is the first day in the season that we call Advent, and this is a season that happens every year, and we're meant to rediscover the joy of God giving us this gift of his own son. And we're supposed to anticipate Jesus's future arrival when he comes back one day by, by celebrating his arrival 2,000 years ago. And it's meant to actually help us to experience his presence in our lives now, so what we want to do for the next couple minutes at the end of this service is just to see if we can recapture that wonder. We're going to do an imaginative prayer exercise just centered around this idea of Advent, which means Jesus' arrival, him coming into our lives, not just 2,000 years ago and not just in the future, but today in our homes, in our places of work, and in our hearts. Yeah, and I think the point of this is to realize while Revelation paints this picture of worship around a heavenly throne— we today actually are meant to experience worship, not in a throne room, but in our everyday lives. You know, Dave talked about last week how God has come to find us. That is the story of scripture. We don't climb up the stairway to heaven. He has come down to us. And so this is actually an exercise that's meant to help you become more aware of Jesus' arriving presence, because he's still arriving still, that's what Advent means, in your and my everyday life, in our everyday spaces. And so here's what we want to do. I want to invite you just wherever you are, if this is new for you or um, you've, you're familiar with this kind of thing, this is just a, a way to engage our imagination, not in something that is imaginary, but using our imagination to access reality in a way that actually changes our hearts and our, and our minds. So just get into a comfortable place if you're lying down or whatever, no judgment, but it might help if you <laughs> sit up, put your feet flat on the ground, and just slow your breathing down. We want to become more aware of Jesus' arriving presence. And so it'll probably help you to close your eyes here. <clears throat> and I want you to picture um, a place that is an ordinary sort of repetitive space for you, a place where you're in a lot. Maybe it's, it's a desk where you do your schoolwork. Um, or maybe a desk where you do your office work or you're, you're working at home, but that's that space. Maybe it's the office itself. Maybe it's the store where you work at, the counter you serve people at, the shop floor you're at. Maybe it's the car you drive in a lot. Um, maybe it's a room in your house. Maybe it's a kitchen. Um, maybe it's a, your favorite chair or a place where you are regular. Maybe it's your bedroom. It's just an ordinary place. And I want you to picture it, whatever that place is, just pick one in your mind. And now imagine Jesus arriving in that place. And he knocks on the door. He says, hey, can I come in? Or maybe you get there and you realize, oh, you're here, Jesus, you're here. You're sitting next to me. You're on the couch. You're in this room. You're standing at the counter with me. Realizing that Jesus is in this place. And now I want you to, in, in your heart or under your breath, or if you're on your own, <clears throat> you can do this out loud. You're going to ask him some questions. Jesus, can you show me how you're at work here? 
in this ordinary, everyday place. Jesus, show me how you're at work here. Then just ask him, Jesus, can you open my eyes so that I can see that you're always here? Open my eyes. Then lastly, Jesus, can you show me the wonder and delight in this ordinary place? Now just pause and listen for what he says in response. We just want to close our prayer with the most commonly prayed Advent prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. My hope is that this is something you can do regularly throughout the season, that you can pause in your own ordinary place and ask him those same three questions. Jesus, can you show me how you're at work here? Jesus, can you open my eyes to see that you're always here? Jesus, can you help me find the wonder and delight in this ordinary place, in this ordinary day? Mm. And this would become something that prepares you for the season of Advent. And our series this year for Advent that's starting next week is, is all about wonder, rediscovering the presence of Jesus as he arrives into our lives. So as we close this service and this time together, before I kick it back to um, Tony for our announcements, I just want to leave you with a blessing. Here's what I want to bless you with. That, that this Advent season, you would be able to see or see more clearly than ever Jesus in your midst, arriving in your ordinary place and space. And that when you see him, your heart will be able to worship. God bless.